Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. We got a nice day today. Everybody noticed that? It's gorgeous out there. This is my favorite time of year by far. Yeah. The humidity's kind of decided that we're sick of it. You mean hurricane season, Joe? Is that your... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can dodge the hurricanes, it's the best time of year. (laughs) Good point. Good point. Boy, everybody looks pretty tired today. Thank you. Any more comments about my physical appearance or my last name will be greatly appreciated. <laughs> All right, we'll get to those. What's up, Bill? I just I want to I want to plug. I had lunch at um, finally at the new renovated Shippies in Southampton oh, Village. Nice. Uh, what a great job uh, they did over there. The food is fantastic. The restaurant looks good. It's bright and it's airy. Um, I sat outside. They have outside, you know, dining. It uh, really, really, really nice job over there. I have to laugh though when you say it's bright and airy, because that is exactly the opposite of the way I would describe the old shippies, which I loved. Exactly, I loved, but was very, very sort of dark and very much an interior uh, feel. You know, when I was a food editor at Time Out, we banned the use of the word airy in any restaurant description because it was like, okay, there's air in the restaurant. What does it have? Oxygen? You can breathe. It's also good to avoid the word quaint in describing any East End town. Really? Well, I did that this week. So I guess. Yeah, don't, don't. Just stop. (laughs) Stop. I look forward. I still have not been in there yet, Bill. I, I, I will. I will go back if you would like to go. It was really good. Yeah. Is it? Is it still like um, German specialties? Um, not, some, not so much for lunch. Um, um, I had a, a Reuben, which I I don't know if that's German or not. That was pretty good. They had a bratwurst on the menu that looked good. Um, I think their dinner dinner menu has. Um, has has all the old German specialties. Lunch was with a little bit of lighter fare, although we did have a big pretzel with um, beer cheese dip that was um, phenomenal. Yeah, well, <laughs> Oktoberfest season is coming up, so you're right. Exactly. Just to clarify here, Shippies is not yet a sponsor of the <laughs> podcast. So maybe we can work to change that. <laughs> or just have them deliver us like yes. like pretzels to our homes and so we could actually eat them while we're recording. There you go. I would just be happy with the uh, beer cheese sauce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Slathered all over. Anyways, that's Bill Sutton's voice that you heard at the top of the podcast. Hi, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also here is Brendan J. O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan. Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. My name is Brendan. I'm the deputy managing editor. And Joe Shaw is here doing his Orson Welles imitation today. Yeah, I'm slowly morphing into Orson Welles. Uh, hi, Joe Shaw, executive editor, Express News Group. So when are you going to make your Citizen Kane? I will not make it before it's time. Uh. <laughs> oh, nice. And uh, I'm Annette Hinkle. I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us is reporter Tom Gogola. Tom is back again. We had you on a couple weeks ago to talk about Ospreys. And now we're talking about something slightly different. So how are you today, Tom? 
Doing great, Annette. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, we love having you on. It's really fun. Um, so this story, you know, I have to say, I wasn't very much aware of this story. This is a West Hampton story, and um, it has to do with Coast Guard housing that I think this is, now is this right across the street from um, Gabreski Airfield? Is yes. that where the location is? So um, I honestly, I got to tell you, I mean, I think I've noticed there's like some kind of complex there, but I never really noticed what it was. And apparently this had been um, former gov- uh, military housing back in, would we say the 50s? Is that about when this was built earlier? Do we know? I, I think it was even a little earlier than that. I think it was Air Force housing, then it was Coast Guard housing, but I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not 100% on that. So in any case, it's largely defunct now. Um, and you're talking we're talking about a 14 acre site that um that the uh, government is looking to perhaps get rid of. And the question is, what will it become? So with that, um, maybe I'll have you guys jump in because you're a little more familiar with the story. And um the debate is is whether or not the town might be interested in buying it and if the residents want the town to buy it. Is that kind of the story? Anyone? That is exactly the story, Annette. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we're done here. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Another successful podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the funny thing about it is this has come up for 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 years in, in years that um that the federal government has made motions about selling that housing. Um they it goes back before before COVID, and I think even years before that there had been an effort that they were going to sell the property, auction the property, and and they just kept pushing it off. And then it looked like they were going to finally get around to auctioning it off um, last 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 month or two months ago, Tom. Um, and um, and it got put off again because the town showed some interest in, in maybe buying it for affordable housing. Is that, is that right, Tom? I got that That's right? That's correct. So we came into this story... Um... You know, having covered it for the past couple of years, and these auctions were were getting pushed off, um, sort of repeatedly. And so finally, um, we asked the General Service Administration, which is now the owner of the property after transfer after it being transferred from the Coast Guard, and asked them, um, you know, why does this keep getting delayed? And much to my surprise, as a reporter, it was a good day. Uh, the GSA guy came back and said, well, the town is trying to acquire this property and we're giving them some time to put together a deal. And, and that was so, the first we'd heard of that. Is that right? That we didn't know the town was after it? We knew that the town had made an offer a couple of years ago that was pushed back by the GSA. So uh-huh. um, and the presumption was that they had it was just such a pricey, ta- pricey price tag that they right. couldn't pursue it. And there were some other issues um, with regard to the, apparently they're paying for a um, uh, what do you want to call it? A assessment of the value of the property, which I guess tied their hands to some extent, but that's a kind of a little bit in the weeds. The issue really here is that the, the property is for sale if the town can put together a deal for $15 million. And it's um, 52 um, units of housing. And the idea that the town that um, Jay Schneiderman somewhat reluctantly spelled out was that uh, it would be half of it would be put on the market and sold. And half of it would be put out for to be rented as affordable housing and that the town would dip into the first dip of its um, community housing fund, which is the new fund that was created with the half percent uh, real estate transfer tax last year. And so that that's kind of what has been happening. And then, of course, at the residential community that's across the street from here has been very suspect all along. 
and really doesn't want to see anything even approaching a, you know, what uh, they don't want to see low income housing is the kind of terrible buzzword. Um, but the developer in um, Jericho, you know, they, they present their sort of self as a workforce developing workforce, uh, which is just another way of saying the same thing. But um, the town is pretty, pretty adamant that this is not going to be something that they're going to fill up with, um, you know, with people who can't, who, you know, that the residents don't want there. And whether that there's issues of equity that need to be, you know, hashed out moving forward and also better communication with the, with the residents to let them know exactly what actually is possibly going on here as opposed to what they fear may be happening here. I think that's sort of the next story here. And Can I ask, uh, I'm sorry, could I ask, are the, the the units that would be sold, would those be at an affordable, quote unquote, affordable rate, or is it only the rental apartments? According that are to Jay being... Scheinerman, the whole thing would be pegged to the um to the area's uh, uh, median income. So it would have to, the AMI, I think they call it. And so it would, um, the people who would, I suppose, qualify um, would be in a range of folks who were making a certain income um, to, to have access. But a lot of this stuff really needs to still be worked out. And there, there is actually, right now, we don't really know what's going to happen. We do know that the GSA, surprisingly, um, has completely suspended indefinitely the auction of the of the property. The bids were going to start at five million dollars, and this would have been something that would have been open to anybody in the in the marketplace who wanted to purchase the property. So that's not happening now. We don't know if that will happen down the road. We don't know if the town will be able to work with the state and its other partners at the county and maybe the feds to um, to kind of pull together the financing necessary. And um, and I will say this too, from talking to colleagues and also to the town attorney, there's significant remediation issues on this property. Some of these places, apparently the houses, none of them were built under any kind of code. So there's that. So they have to do a pretty big scrub up of the electrical systems, make sure nothing's gonna you know burn up. Um, but also according to the town attorney, um, James Burke, there's, there's possibly that there's live unexploded ordinance on the grounds. There's the possibility of some Superfund uh, legacy over there, which kind of brings in the state. And so there's significant hurdles to get past before anybody is moving in there. And uh, I guess we'll just have to see what happens next. But the first step is they've got to buy it. And, and, you know, I mean, and once, once they buy it, then they can kind of come up with a plan. But but there's no point in in spending a lot of time promoting what they're going to be doing there if if they can't buy it. Well, I guess you're that's a chicken and egg kind of thing, because they yeah. need to have a they need to have a proposal that's reasonable and sellable in order to get the folks on board who are going to be you know backing it, which includes Governor Hochul and, you know, her big uh -huh. affordable housing. So the town does need to have some idea of, yeah. you know, they can't just say, well, we don't want to just buy this and then figure out what to do with it. That won't fly. So they do have a pretty, I mean, according to Jay, they have a pretty specific sort of idea about what they want to do here. And the, the plot is interesting too, because it's not just the houses, there's open space there, there's a playground, there's another outbuilding, which could be used for a community center. So there's some really interesting opportunity there. And, um, you know, for a place that's kind of just sitting there waiting for a good idea, 
um, this is an idea, whether or not the residents think it's a good idea or not. I think, like I said earlier, that's sort of the next story. And to get elected officials a little bit more engaged with dealing with the community is probably going to be the thing that either pushes this over the finish line or, you know, or puts it back to the auction, basically. Regarding the area median income or the AMI, that is determined by HUD, by Housing and Urban Development, the federal agency. And they don't get super specific with that. When they say the area, they don't mean the East End. They don't mean the South Fork. They don't mean West Hampton. They mean Nassau and Suffolk combined. What is the area median income in Nassau, Suffolk combined? So, and then when they permit who gets to rent houses or purchase houses, it's not necessarily that you have to make the median or under the median. They could say these units are for people who make up to 80% of AMI, these units for people who make up to 100, but they could even say these are units for people who make up to 120% of the AMI. So you're talking about people who make above average household incomes and they qualify for affordable housing. There's also a floor generally, like you can't apply unless you make at least 40% of the AMI. So they might say, this is for people between 40 and 60. This is for people between 60 and 80, et cetera. So they might not take the whole neighborhood and say every single unit's gonna be exactly the same. And often when you have affordable housing developments, especially if there's any county money thrown in, or if there's state money thrown in, they will say that you have to set aside a certain number of units for veterans. They might say that you have to set aside a certain number of units for people who are disabled. Like they, they might specifically say for X number of units, this many must go to people who are blind or have another disability. So of all the units that are out there, some of them might be set asides. The majority of them in a project this large would be for working people. That, that was actually goes to my question, Tom, that when the town is looking at this project, this is not, I mean, in talking in broader strokes, this is not just about low income housing. This is, this is the goal here is to make affordable housing for different levels of income, right? I mean, they, they want to create some housing that can be affordable for professionals and um, working families not just low income, this isn't a low income housing project necessarily. It's about creating housing for working families, right? That is correct. And, you know, we all know what the big, you know, the big backdrop here is the lack of that housing and the extremely terrible impacts that's having on traffic. And the fact that people who, many people who work out here can't afford to live out here. And um, here is an opportunity that the state has been harping on, you know, since Hochul was a governor for two years that we really have to start looking at these opportunities that are out there and leverage where possible. And according, like I said to the town attorney, that the state is really hot to get on to get this property. So for the very things that you sort of imply there. Well, it checks a couple of Hochul's boxes too, because it's, um, I mean, it's near Sunrise Highway and it's and it's near the it's not too far from, you know, from the train station. So there's commuter opportunities there. I don't know that you could walk to the train station from there, but it's certainly um, not, not that far off. And, and it's kind of out of the way. You're not adding to, to a lot of the East West traffic necessarily. If you're, if you're commuting, you know, one way or the other. Yeah. That, that part of the world is a little bit before it gets real hairy on sunrise. So it's not in the real, horrible zone if that's what you're saying 
And, um, you know, it also is in the, in the core Pine Barrens area, which again, there's issues that may come along with that. The Pine Barrens Commission may want to have a, a, a say so here. Is there going to be easements? Are there going to be open space requirements that come out of this? Those are questions that will be hashed out down the road if and as this plan moves forward. But to, um, to the point about veterans and, 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 and issues along those lines, you know, we have a story last week about our veteran um, congressman who is a veteran, um, Nick Lalota. And, um, you know, he even he as a Republican is driving a narrative that says this needs to be a, a locally sort of arrived at conclusion about what to do with this. And, um, and again, that is by definition gonna require more um, buy-in from the community that so far, at least from what we're seeing, is really putting up some serious, uh, some serious uh, ack ack or whatever you want to call it to push back against this. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. Can I ask, has the town actually like been in talks at all with the with the workforce housing developer that we got wind of? I mean, has there been any conversations um, between both of them that we know of? Or was this a separate thing? Was there a developer that was looking to come in and buy it? No, I think this was something where the town had, I don't know who the, these folks are, but it's called Georgica, um, uh, Georgica something or another. And they're based in Jericho. They're not out mm -hmm. here. And they have a kind of very greenish public posting profile. And they also really emphasize their ability to leverage um, these sorts of outcomes where you are focused on workforce housing. So they are, I guess they're kind of in the mix as a, as a go-to developer out here. And maybe Brendan has something to say about that. Right. Georgica Green Ventures, they are a known entity out here because they did Spion Commons and they did Sandy Hollow, two different rental housing developments, even though one is in Tuckahoe and one is in Spionk, it was actually treated as one project because by treating it as one project, they increased the number of units that they were developing and that opened up the opportunity for more funding sources. So those two, those are done. People are living in those. They've been living in them for a couple of years now. So we've seen Georgica Green do this kind of thing successfully. At this point though, they wouldn't be building from the ground up. They'd be working with what's there. Interesting. So this, that's the other thing I was curious about Would with the houses that were there. I mean, I, I don't even, first of all, is there anybody living in them now? And secondly, what kind of shape are they in? Are they salvageable? Would it just be a total teardown situation and start over? Not according to what the town is saying. They're going to keep the infrastructure and, you know, unspecified remediation. I know that there had been already been asbestos remediation on the site at some point. Um, but as I previously said, they have not, uh, what, you know, town attorney said was none of these places were built at a, in a period where they 
there was a town code to even, maybe even apply to or whatever. They just built them. And so they're going to have to do some inspections, make sure that they're all charry and whatever, make sure that there's no electrical issues and other stuff because some of them, they've been sitting for a while. So you, you, you may have some, I mean, the things that typically in these situations, black mold, you know, stuff like this, you're going to have to go in and really clean them and scrub them out and stuff like that. But is that cheaper than building 52 new uh, units of housing? If you, exactly, $15 million is not going to, that's a pretty good bang for the buck if you kind of go per unit. So yeah, fifteen million for what fifty-two units at least that are existing. So that's that's a fairly good start. Tom, you mentioned the state being involved in the funding. That's going to be necessary, right? Because I don't think even with the community housing fund that Southampton Town approved and is now collecting revenue towards. Um, the town wouldn't be able to do this project on its own, right? This is the price tag's a little too high for just the town to make this purchase. It's going to need financial help from the state and maybe the county, right? It'll be like a partnership. Absolutely. And the town and the town has been adamant that they are not purchasing this property. That is not the word to use here. This is um they're acquiring it and they're basically a, a middleman trying to, you know, pull pull together. The funding the financing you know and their piece of it will come from this 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 fund and that will be then doled out in the form of grants to according to schneiderman to the renters hmm. brendan we were talking about this earlier um a lot of the neighbors to this site have been uh kind of wary about this project and some of the town officials have as well do do we have any kind of insights into why people are are wary about this project? What's the what's making uh, neighbors of this development hesitant about what might happen to it? So Tom had mentioned that this was in the Pine Barrens area, right? And if you look on a map, you see this area that is just woods, 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 woods to the north, woods, south, woods, and then there's this long road that takes you out to this neighborhood. It's called Stewart Avenue will take you out and you end up where north of Stewart Avenue is these 26 buildings that constitute the Coast Guard housing and there's a playground there. And then south of Stewart Avenue is a some, somewhat larger portion that is the privately owned uh, Hampton West neighborhood. And there's actually a town park and playground in there. Um, it's actually hard to distinguish on the map uh, what's town owned, what might be private for some of the residents, what might be private to the Coast Guard, but there's a basketball court, there's playgrounds, there's a big baseball diamond, there's multiple tennis courts. So these are people who are neighbors. You know, there's, there's no big separation, even though there's actually some gates. The gates are generally open, but there's gates to get into the Coast Guard housing, which is the one thing that tells you that, oh, this is something different. You'll see a sign that says U.S. Coast Guard housing. You get the impression that it's federal property, whereas the other neighborhood is just like a regular residential neighborhood. There seems to be this fear among people who live in Hampton West, as they've articulated in letters, that this property is going to become uh, solely occupied by low-income people, and they object to living, to sharing their neighborhood with low-income people, possibly 52 families who don't make a lot of money, and maybe they're going to have a lot of kids who are going to go to the local schools, and that might increase their school taxes. 
and they might want to share the same facilities. Like there's a town owned park here. So it's not going to be like, well, just the Hampton West residents get to live there and the affordable housing residents don't get to live there. They all get to use the town park. It's a town facility. If you live in Southampton town, it doesn't matter if you live in, in Sagaponic or Noyak, you could drive there tomorrow. It's a town owned facility. Go there right now. So it's, seems to be this class class issue right like i don't want to be living near poor people that seems to be what the message is even though it's said a little differently the underlying message is i don't want to live next to low-income people not for nothing that the hampton west neighborhood has come a long way in in the last um couple couple decades it was it was traditionally there was a lot of um income property there people who own multiple properties there rented them out there were share houses um hampton west hampton beach used to be the party town and you had a lot of um you had a lot of, of summer renters there and you had a lot of um uh, not not just seasonal but you know you, you had these these homes that that people were were renting out and it wasn't a, a well maintained or kept neighborhood and, and along comes this Hampton West Association that that worked hard to you know to increase property values in, in that neighborhood to get rid of some of the the rentals and share houses and encourage um you know single home ownership there. So so you know I can I can understand a little bit of their trepidation about returning to the old days of you know transient housing and um you know, and and not not the same level of of suburban living that, that they have now. I mean, property values are of key importance to everybody right now, too. Yeah, and I will just um, add to to Bill's point. Um, you know, I talked to a neighbor there who lives very close to the um to the Coast Guard facility, and his, you know, he basically said, you know, we, in not so many words, we have some issues in our neighborhood still dealing with some people who live in here who really are not keeping up their homes the way that the HOA would like them to be doing. So um, so I guess for some people who live there, maybe they're saying, hey, we're trying to keep our neighborhood already that's already existing, you know, in good shape here. We have some issues there. The last thing we want to see is another 50 you know, housing units developed that are going to remind us or whatever of some of the problem properties that we have in our own in our own neighborhood, and that's and, and that they had traditionally and that they had traditionally. So that, like Bill said, they worked very hard to clean all that up. Now they have to deal with some of that still. And the last thing they want is to feel like they got swamped with a whole bunch of um, you know, people that aren't going to be you know cleaning up their yards and stuff like that. Which we don't know anything about that. Right. I mean, that's just conjecture and somewhat uh not fair is anybody living in these homes now or are they all pretty much abandoned and was that by design that the coast guard intentionally moved everybody out and said okay nobody can live here now no my understanding of that is the coast guard folks that were living there didn't really want to live there it was not a desirable place to live i think we did some reporting about this over the years maybe brendan knows more about this than i do but that it wasn't actually really a big selling point for coast guard uh, personnel to live there. They had other op options and opportunities. So it may not have been a huge demand in the first place. Um, but to my knowledge, there's nobody living there now. And I think over the years, they were phasing people out too. They weren't putting any new any new people in with the idea that they were going to uh, dump this property. 
I was there one or two years ago, um, picking up actually some books uh, from FreeCycle from somebody who was moving, and it was one of the Coast Guard houses. And the neighborhood did have the sense of that it hadn't been maintained. You know, if this was a privately owned neighborhood, you would have people updating their siding, redoing their roofs. But this is a neighborhood where a lot of the houses are, I don't know if duplexes is the right word because, you know, this isn't a condo association. I don't know if two family home is the right word, but there'll be two story, uh, it's a two story house split down the middle. And you might have one side of that house look completely different than the other side of that house. Because on one side, they updated 10 years ago. On the other side, they updated 20 years ago. People have different ideas about what, um, you know, how much they're going to keep up the yard or what flowers they're going to do. But also, like we said about rentals, this is federal government property. This isn't private home ownership. So how much of your own money you're going to put into maintaining a home that's a rental? What's being proposed, though, is that it is going to be ownership. So you should have pride of ownership in all of these homes here. They're not going to be rentals. If the concern is that you're gonna have absentee landlords, that's not the case here. They're gonna be owned homes, most likely with accessory apartments in each one. So you're gonna have rental tenants, but it's not gonna be transients. It's not gonna be people who come out for the summer to party. If you have an accessory apartment that's income qualified, that's year round housing. You are not allowed to sublet affordable housing, you will get caught and you will get in a lot of trouble for that really quickly. And people don't want to lose a sweet opportunity like affordable housing in West Hampton. So they're not going to risk that by Airbnb it or having a party house. I see there to be a potential for this to improve the neighborhood because it's going to get cleaned up before people move in. They're going to look a lot better than they did under federal ownership. And then you're going to have homeowners there who want to maintain the house so eventually they could sell it. They, they're not going to get as much money as they could if they bought on the open market. That's the price that you pay when you're moving into affordable housing. But they should be able to get some appreciation of their property value. But then it has to be sold to another person on an affordable basis so that these stay affordable in perpetuity. Well, and you're going to have pride, and you're going to have pride of ownership too. I mean, if these are, are if these are filled up with people who couldn't otherwise, um, you know, afford a afford a home on on the East End, and are given the opportunity under the affordable housing program, then they're 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 going to upkeep the houses. They're going to be happy to have the house. They're going to have a pride of ownership to to keep it up. Hi, this is Michael Wright. I'm a reporter for the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and 27East.com. I cover East Hampton Town and follow important stories about the environment, including the coming South Fork wind farm, its impact on the fishing industry, and other water quality issues. We follow East Hampton Town and village government, and I'm asking the tough questions and providing you with important answers. My colleagues and I in the editorial department work hard as watchdogs for this community, but we can't do it without our subscribers. If you find the work we're doing valuable to you, please subscribe by visiting 27East.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you very much. And by the way, Brendan, we should point out that the owner occupied with the uh, rental apartment goes to the idea of these being affordable places too. The, the whole idea is in addition to creating that affordable rental that, that you have as a second unit there, the person who's bought the property now has a steady income 
of that of that rental revenue, it makes that first house more affordable for them as well. Uh, that all goes to the program. You could float a mortgage because you have rental income. That makes it much more feasible for you to own that house. And then if you live there for 30 years and now you don't have a mortgage anymore, but you still have a rental income, it's not a huge rental income because it's it's on an affordability basis and it's capped, but that that's going to help you retire too. That's going to help you retire in place because you no longer have a mortgage, but you have a steady rental income. Yeah. And I mean, it's worked in other places in the town. They, I believe in Bridgehampton, there are a few of these units and I think they're very well thought of. I think a lot of people generally point to those developments as being really highly successful examples of how you can incorporate affordable housing into really wealthy areas. And you don't really even notice the difference. And, and it makes it more affordable when you're creative with something like this side apartment that, that people can use too. I think it's a great idea. And quite frankly, the town's going to have to get creative. It's going to have money to spend now with the community housing fund bringing in a couple of million dollars a year. Uh, they're going to be able to do some projects. And I feel like they need to try some things and what works, do some more of those things. And there's going to be kickback, I think, everywhere that this is proposed. And, and it may be up to the town to weigh that kickback and, and still push forward you know, even though some of the neighbors may not be all that happy. And a couple of these projects may start to turn that tide a little bit. People will start to understand um, if they turn out as good as the town thinks they will, they'll start to see the difference. It's beyond commons. Everybody was in that neighborhood was, was, um, oh my God, you can't build that. It's going to blah. It's going to this, it's going to that. And, and uh, by, by most accounts, it was a really successful successful project uh, that improved uh, Phillips Avenue, improved the area. And the other one in Takahoe, uh, the name is Sandy Hollow. Off the top of my head. Sandy Hollow. I, I defy anybody to even tell me where that project is. It, it doesn't, it's almost un, unnoticeable when you drive past it. But when you go into that complex, it's a terrific little complex. And, and I love, I've spoken with uh, Curtis Highsmith before. Uh, Curtis, of course, is the director of, of the housing authority for the town, and he has an office in there. And, I, and I've said, geez, I look around and the parking lot behind you is empty. And he says, yeah, that's because everybody here works. They, they leave in the morning and they go to work and you see them all getting in their cars and going to work and they come back in the evening. That's how this is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place for working families and it very clearly is because during the day it's it's there, there's not a whole lot of people in, in the complex well i really don't see how there's going to be this difference between having a bunch of people who work for the coast guard used to be your neighbors and now have a bunch of people with a household income that's between let's say 80 and one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. is that really going to change the neighborhood that much or change it at all in any negative way it's not like these people bought homes and then they said, guess what? We're building an affordable housing development next to you. The homes are there. And it seems like a one-for-one -one exchange. You used to live next to homes. Guess what? You're going to live next to homes. They're not proposing to add a shopping mall. They're not tearing down trees to build affordable housing, apartments or anything. They're taking a resource that exists and they're going to 
Yeah, I I think some of the idea though of those those neighbors was that that some big developer was going to um, come to the auction, buy the property, tear it all down, and build ten McMansions there, and you know, and that that would be a whole different story. I, I think that was, and it would it would be good for neighboring right. property values. That's what I was wondering. Would they rather yeah. see that? Is that but kind of... but what does the town need yeah. more? Does it need more McMansions? Or do we need affordable housing? And this is going to be, I feel like this is a giant sociological experiment that Southampton Town and East Hampton Town are going to have to undergo. That when we talk about affordable housing and there's just, everybody sort of bends all around the, the, the different terminology because when you say affordable housing, there is just no way it doesn't carry a lot of baggage. And you don't think it means slums, quite frankly. And that's what I think a lot of people hear when they hear affordable housing. And this is not a circumstance where that's going to be the outcome. These are going to be houses for mostly working families. Um, but, you know, you hate to say stuff like that because it starts to sound like all of the, the negativity towards affordable housing, picturing it as slums, has some value. And that generally isn't, isn't, isn't the case, and it hasn't been the case in this region. Um, but this is dicey stuff, and 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 I think it's why you start to run into the kickback from neighbors. Is is there's a long history of housing projects being a negative, and there isn't a, there isn't nearly as much of a history of housing developments being a positive, and and especially when the government's directly involved, it's it's just the nature of of the debate. I'm afraid. Truth. Truth. Well, you're you're right about all of that, Joe. Yeah. And what what's so what's the next step? Like, so basically, they postponed the auction. So the thinking is that they may be in talks with someone at the town level. The difference this time is that they didn't just postpone it. They suspended it indefinitely. And that has been lending to a sense that a deal is not just um, a possibility, but a probability. Like, why would they suspend it indefinitely? If this wasn't something that really had some, you know, some grit to it and that people are really getting invested in and the state is, you know, coordinating with the town and they're, you know, trying to put some shekels together here. Tom, we don't know, but it seems likely that the governor's office is interested here, right? Because this lines up so perfectly with a lot of her themes at the state level about creating more housing opportunities and to do it in a, in a high profile community like this would be a real win for her office if she can get it done. Absolutely. Yeah, you got to remember, you know, she got huge amounts of pushback at the introduction last year of the, the, the sort of affordable housing, you know, plan. And frankly, you know, Long Island, um, you know, wasn't showing its best colors there in a lot of ways because there was a lot of a lot more carrot to those proposals than there was stick. And it got so misrepresented in the media out here that before you knew it, everybody thought that Governor Hochul was going to force localities to change their zoning to allow for affordable housing, which was never, never part of that plan. So this is a, I'm not going to say a second bite at that apple, but this is probably what you might call a more focused um, and granular bite at the apple to say, well, we couldn't really get too far with, you know, transit-oriented development, you know, all the rest of the different things, you know, accessory housing, more granny units and stuff, you know, people were really pushing back horn on that. But here is this, you know, basically this, I mean, I don't want to call it turnkey because it's not, but it's already built. 
it has this history as everyone's been saying there was already working people living there it's not like the coast guard employees are making a hundred thousand dollars a year i mean maybe close to that some of them but uh, i mean the reason why they have this housing in the first place was because they don't pay a lot in the military also you don't have to change the zone i would say a hundred percent i would say a hundred percent that if you ask governor hochel how high is this on your list? She'd put it way up at the top and say, this is kind of a model for what we should be looking out for, you know, abandoned properties that are federal or state or some other thing that we can kind of do a sort of, uh, you know, creative uh, adapt, you know, what do you want to call it? Adapt, uh, what's the word in architecture circles for this? Adaptive, adaptive reuse. Adaptive That's reuse. a great point. Okay. And this is, a, this is basically lined up for that. And to sort of hear this amount of pushback or kickback, as you call it, I can't help but think that some of the politics that, kind of came out of this whole housing thing last year are still kind of rippling through our region and people are just suspicious. It's a tough topic, hopefully. So this is 14 acres that requires remediation. So frankly, I'm surprised it's $15 million is like the price peg we've been talking about of, of how much uh, the town and its partners need to come up with to acquire this. Imagine spending $15 million on something and then possibly millions more on remediation. If there's any truth to the suspicion that there's ordinances buried somewhere, God knows what the remediation will cost. But I imagine that the only reason it's $15 million as an estimate is because it is developed and those houses are there. If you had to tear down all those houses to build new, I don't know that a $15 million investment plus the cost of removing all those houses would make any sort of a reasonable return for a developer. But setting that aside for a minute, I want to read you something. And uh, by the way, can I can I interrupt you for a second, Brendan, and just say maybe that's part of the conversation that's happening now is that the state is saying to the federal government, if we're going to pay you $15 million, we want five million of Superfund money to, to do the cleanup. And we want the federal government to pick up that cost. That could be part of the negotiation. I, I think Superfund money will come up at some point, if they find something, maybe they don't get it guaranteed as a prerequisite. But if they do go in there and suddenly find out that there's something awful going on, I'm sure that the federal government will have to step in to clean up its own mess. So here's what I want to read you. And I wonder if, if this has come across our, our desks before. None of us were working at the Southampton Press when this was published. Um, it was actually published in the New York Times. Southampton LI. After three years of trying to acquire 172 units of surplus Air Force housing in West Hampton for moderate and middle income cooperative development, Southampton is pulled out of the project. Urged by West Hampton Beach residents who feared that the housing, if occupied, would result in a sharp rise in their school taxes, the town board last week voted to notify the General Services Administration that it is no longer interested in the property. Why should the town burden the taxpayers, said Councilman Theodore Alpert, who introduced the resolution? Let some other agency, the federal government perhaps, be the villain. What year do you think this was published? 1975. Annette, you were so close, 1973. Hmm. So look at this opportunity that we passed up for 172 units of what could have been perpetual, affordable, attainable housing. That was passed up in the 70s, and now here we are, and it's going to cost a hell of a lot more money just to get 26 duplexes. I wonder where that property was. Do we know where that property, does, is, do we recognize the name of it? 
it had to be some of the same property and then what became ah so it probably was but just some of those houses developed into private homes and this little stretch mm. that's still yeah. up for um auction now is what's left of that but but remember in 1973 people were still spending fifty thousand dollars for the houses that are worth a million mm. now that was still the middle that was before the big land rush it's amazing how the priorities change and and Priorities have changed significantly in 20 years, no question. Do, do we know if there's other interested parties? That's the other thing. Is there a lot of competition, Tom? Do you know to get this property? You know, is the is the town up against some people who are really kind of chopping at the bit to get their hands on it? I don't know the answer to that, Annette, um, since they never actually even initiated the, 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 the um, auction. It's hard to say who's out there standing in the wings, but I think as Brendan noted and others have noted, there, there may be a, a real um, bang for the buck problem here for some of these developers if there are significant remediation issues or other issues with the houses themselves. Um, that may be just a big disincentive to a developer to come in and tear it all down and be responsible for that. Right. So that, that could be true, but West Hampton Beach is pretty hot pretty right hot. now. You know, and you're pretty, and you're you're close to, you'd be pretty close to the village there. You know, you're talking about a, a two-minute drive to get into into West Hampton Beach, and you know, and that's just that's just exploding. So, and just to, to finish the point, Annette, um, the opening bids for the for the auction were to start at five million dollars and increase by increments of a hundred thousand. So, how did they get to fifteen million from five million, Tom? Does anybody explain that? <laughs> I'm not that's good at the, math. That's the hundred thousand dollar question. I guess there was an anticipation that you know the, that's a ten million dollar question, not a hundred thousand dollar question. <laughs> Maybe there was an appraisal. Maybe they just looked and said, "Well, you know, what is twenty six duplexes worth compared to what other things in West Hampton have sold yeah. for?" Yeah, and of course, the GSA is under no obligation if they don't get the 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 the, the number that they want to sell it, right? I mean, they right. Can, they pay. Yeah, them. and the federal government was asked what they want for it. Well, they gave an answer: fifteen million. Yeah, we know. But maybe that's also part of the negotiations that the town and the state are saying, "Come on, cut us a little bit of a break here." And everybody, you know the. The, the dynamic is interesting here because you also want the federal government to get the most for land when it holds it. You know, that's our taxpayer money, too. We want to see, make sure the federal government doesn't give it away for nothing. But if it is going to give it away at a discount, you hope it's for a public benefit. So there's a lot of wheels turning here. And it feels like what I find interesting is it. And we mentioned this in our editorial on the subject. It almost felt like this was going to get away. <clears throat> that this was not something that was a priority for the town until some attention was given to it. And it was like, hello, you know, when you're looking for projects to add housing, here's, here's a pretty simple kind of a cookie cutter starting, starting point, at least for a town that needs to do a lot of units and, you know, 50 units would be better than nothing. I mean, that, would at least catch up to what East Hampton's done over the years. The price that they're looking at is less than three hundred thousand per unit. If that's going to be fifteen million, less than three hundred thousand dollars per unit, you can't develop affordable housing for less than three hundred thousand per unit. Granted, you might have to put a hundred thousand dollars into each one of those units to rehabilitate it to the point where everybody's happy. But still, you can't develop a unit of affordable housing for four hundred thousand dollars. So. If they acquire it at that price or less, it's a hell of a deal compared to however else 
the town of Southampton can develop or redevelop affordable housing. Yeah. If you go back to the Clinton era and they had this whole big pushback, then the, the base recommendation closing, um, you know, survey that went on for years. And they finally, it was very politicized because no one wanted to close their local bases, but finally they closed a whole bunch of military bases around the country. And just to take the example of Governor's Island, which was, which was Coast Guard land in New York City, a absolute jewel in the middle of the harbor, they sold that piece of land to the, um, the, to the state of New York or the city for $1. And the, and the predicate for that was you're not allowed to do some kind of crazy ass industrial build out or build bazillion dollar apartments here. You have to make it something for the public trust. And it took a long time, but now you go to Governor's Island and it's this amazing park and it's really cool. And um, so I just, you, you think about like, okay, you know, the federal government owns this, the Coast Guard owns it, okay. But in other situations, they're just dumping this stuff off for a song. So, you know, I think a little bit of context here is necessary if they're going to dig their heels in on $15 million when they gave away a billion dollar island in the middle of Manhattan. And all they did was take out some of their old cannons and stuff and said, here, have at it. You know, totally strange uh, turn of events here that they're having such a stick in the mud issue over, you know, this this thing out here in West Hampton that um, is really, let's face it, a drop in the bucket to help the affordable housing. It's a nice drop in the bucket, but it really is. I mean, you think about all the time and energy. We're writing about this and talking about it and how it really is 50 people, you know, 50 families. I mean, we're talking about a crisis out here that is a, yeah. that's tens of thousands of people are impacted by right now. You know what, Tom, though? The, the reason it's important is the town's got to hit a home run with the yeah. first one. They really do. They're going to have money to spend over the next 10, 15 years to do something, but they got to do it right the first yeah. time. And yeah. to me, this is on a platter. This is a chance that you can do it right. And and you've got sort of a blank canvas to work with and make it work. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to see it come together. I mean, I realize some of the neighbors have the reservations. I think the best case scenario is it comes together and everybody is happy with with the final product. Um Hey, that happens all the time, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, you know, Bill mentions Beyond Commons, and we talked about Sandy Hollow. Uh, the town has a fairly good track record here. Uh, those have been good projects. But it's a, it's a small track. It is. But it's not a bit. It's not a bad. But I know all of the in in each of those cases, neighbors were concerned, and I don't know that there's been. I think some folks around Beyond Commons might have a disagreement. Uh, but I think both projects have have turned out to be to be pretty good. There were a lot of con there were a lot of concessions made. I mean, yeah. they they really shrunk the project down, and and there have been reports about some less than desirable tenants there. I, I think over over the last couple of years, but I, I think all in all, um, people are happy with the project. Are those are those all rentals, or are there some units that were purchased in there? Do we know? It's all rentals. It's all rentals. Yeah, you know, and the good news here is even if they don't develop it into affordable housing, at least they have a place where they can send some of those migrants from New York City to, to spend some time out here. Yeah, there you go. Turnkey, that's, tur that's turnkey available for them. Uh, have we done a story on that? <laughs> good conversation. Tom, do you know are there are any plans for the town to hold any kind of a forum or community meeting or... That's not that I've heard of. I mean, I'll just share with you, like, not, you know, we... We kind of caught them off guard with our reporting and that 
been dealing with a little bit of, you know, a little pushback from that. This was all an executive committee. And when the GSI guy told me like, oh yeah, we're trying to sell to the town. Yeah. They were not too, Jay was not real happy to talk about it. So, and then Cindy told me, she's like, this was an executive committee. This wasn't even supposed to get out. And I said, well, that's my job. You know, I mean, what am I supposed to yeah. tell you? Yeah. Interesting. So they wanted this to kind of be a little bit more packaged together before here you go public. So, you know, we're just right. doing our job here as right, right, you know, right. our first amendment job here. So, so now they're going to get the pitchforks out. Now the pitchforks are coming. Wow. Good job, Tom. Stir <laughs> the pot. <laughs> it's our job. Well, you okay. get lucky every once in a while in this business and you just, you know, as all you guys know, you just got to know when you got something hot in your hand and, and, mm -hmm. And work it and do it. I'm glad we did what we've done with it. Well, I ain't writing about it this week. I'll tell you that much. Taking a break, Coast Guard. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.